Thank you for tuning into Tactile, a practical guide to transforming art and culture. This is the podcast of Leveraging a Network for Equity, LANE, a program of the National Performance Network. LANE supports arts organizations of color and rural organizations with the time and resources needed to grow their infrastructure in ways that are culturally authentic and moves the field towards justice. I'm your host, Sage Crump, Program Specialist for LANE. Well, this episode, we're really excited to talk to Chris Holmes, who's the executive director of The Myrna Loy out of Helena, Montana. Um, The Myrna Loy is a member of our Alpha cohort, one of the first six organizations that agreed to take this journey, uh, this four-year journey called Leveraging a Network for Equity, uh, and so grateful um, that you uh, made that decision kind of sight unseen because it was all so new and nobody knew at the time quite how this thing was going to shake out or shape up. Um, and uh, still you, you decided this felt like important uh, work that you wanted to do. And so I just want to say welcome, Chris. Thank you. I'm excited <laughs> to be doing this with you and excited to tell our story. One of the things that I always kind of li- like to start this off with is just familiarizing people with the Myrna Loy. And I keep saying it that way. And you can tell us a little bit about how we got Why? There. Why we say it that way. <laughs> um, but what, we know you were in Helena, Montana, but can you tell us a little bit about the Myrna Loy and what yeah. you do there and, and how you work with community there? Yeah. So the Myrna Loy is a culture center and culture driver and art instigator in Little Helena, Montana, which is a high mountain little town, the third smallest capital city in the nation, um, nestled in the Rocky Mountains in the very center of Montana, the heart of Montana. Um, We're a 10-hour drive over mountain passes in any direction to the nearest metropolitan area. And we like it that way. People here live in the Montana landscape for a reason, mm. but um, we, really, we really serve to bring a lot of cultural activity and artistic events and happenings and, and creative life into this geographically remote area. Um, but because the railroad lines were built the way they were across the northern tier, Helena really grew into a culture center from the very beginning because the Northern Pacific Railroad that that ran from Minneapolis to Seattle came right through Helena, and this was where they um, artists who were traveling across the country, opera singers, circus performers, um, all kind musicians and vaudeville theater companies would travel across, and Helena was the natural overnight stop. And so they would perform here to earn a little bit of money along the way. So from its very beginning, even from the early years when it was a gold camp, Helena really grew as this culture center in, the, in this remote landscape of Montana. So the Myrna Loy kind of carries on that tradition. And Helena itself is known as this really creative, artistic little hub, um, kind of a little hot spot in the in the heart of Montana. 
The Merloy started in the 1970s as an independent film house called Second Story Cinema because it was um, it began in uh, Blanche Judge's dance studio upstairs in an office building in downtown Helena, and they just put in sofas and chairs and an old you know real real to real film house and showed artistic and alternative films and independent films and pretty pretty quickly after its start began um the organization began also presenting jazz musicians and traveling art shows and and local arts productions because that's what's so cool and it's so interesting and they wanted to um and by the end of the 80s, they had grown out of this tiny little space and needed a space of their own. Mm-hmm. At the same time, this 100-year-old jailhouse, county, historic county jail, the county had grown out of the jail and had emptied out this, this jailhouse, and it was one of the facilities that the uh, founder, Arnie Molina, and his board were looking at, one of the properties they were looking at. And this became the new home of Second Story Cinema. And so they gutted the jailhouse, took out the jail cells, and built a 240-seat theater, a proscenium arch backstage with um, full lights and wings and backstage, and a little 50-seat movie screening room and offices and dressing rooms and everything, and converted this old historic jailhouse into this art center and named it after Myrna Loy, the great, socially aware, creative, beautiful, vibrant actress because she grew up down the street here. So Myrna Loy is, is named after Myrna Loy with her blessing and her name. She gave us her her name and her image to use as this art center. And she's actually buried down the street in Helena in her Um. hometown. So, um, you know, this is kind of this, this amazing little place grew up in Helena to serve, to serve this community that is way out here in the middle of nowhere where people have over time developed a tremendous appetite for the arts and for cultural engagement that, we wouldn't be able to have if we didn't travel many, many hours. And that's the role of the Myrna Loy. That's pretty amazing. Uh, one of the reasons I love doing this podcast and talking to you all like this is I learn new things every single time. Like I think that's the first time I, I think a lot about geography and I'm always interested in like how something became something. So the story about the railroad and how um, artists would stop and perform there, and that's how they made a little bit of money. That's that's just interesting to me. I hope it's interesting to other people listening, but it's interesting to me because it says a lot about the soil that the Myrna Loy yes. is planted in. Yeah. And, and so thank you for sharing that. Well, I think it's so interesting across the country how geography and history shapes everything. There is this why behind why are these people here? Why is this cult- Why did this culture arise here or or maintain here? And what makes us who we are? And mm-hmm. in this day and age, when you know we kind of 
it's easy to lose that story, lose the trails of those stories. But mm -hmm. everywhere that we are, our roots go back into you know, geography and transportation and people's everyday decisions about why they do what they do. And there's a reason we're all here, each one of us in our story. And I love that. That is, that's, I love that too. And I love um, how that makes me think about the relationship between the past, present and the future. Mm -hmm. right? Like the, the, the ways in which uh, something has grown, the soil in which it's planted. Um, yeah also says a lot about its sense of possibility. Mm -hmm. And um, I, uh, we often start the, the podcast, Tactile, asking our brilliant leaders um, this first question. How do you imagine change happens, Chris? I feel like change happens with the stories that we tell. I think our lives are shaped so deeply by the stories we tell about who we are, the kind of people we are, where we came from, where we're going, what happened to us, and how we respond to what happens to us. And I think we can see that in our political situation today. Like, what are the stories we are telling about ourselves? And a lot of the conflicts that arise in every situation are conflicts between the story you tell about who you are and who you need to be and the story that I'm telling myself about who you might be, hmm. who I am. So I see change happening in that fundamental way of how we tell our stories about who we are and how we got here and where we're going. In this LANE program, I think the genius about this LANE program as we experienced it was that it really gave us this, this uh, opportunity but also this pressure to um, this requirement that we dig into what is the story mm. of the Myrna Loy in our, in our world today and how can we influence that story? And also, how can we challenge our assumptions about that story? Is that really the fullest story that you're going to tell? Is that really who we are? What if it were a bigger story? And we came into this, you know, as you know, we came into the Lane program as kind of... Um, a traumatized organization. We had gone through some transitions as, an org as all nonprofits do, all art mm -hmm. centers do. We went through kind of some rocky transitions financially and, and from a leadership standpoint. Um, and we, so we entered into the Lane program thinking we are troubled, we're in trouble, we're um, struggling what are we going to do? How are we going to face our struggles? And being in, being in this process with you and with all the participants helped us to really delve into that story and change it so that we weren't this troubled, traumatized um, organization, but we were resilient. We found our strengths we found our ways of telling who we are in a vibrant and active and creative way. And it completely, in that, in that simple, radical way, 
I think, transformed the organization into a, a place of health and vibrancy and optimism and excitement. So I think change happens oh. through the way we tell our stories. Mm, thank you for that. I think that uh, uh, that's amazing to hear because one of the things that we wanted to be really intentional about in the development of Lane is the recognition of you all as leaders. Not that we're coming in as, uh, uh, that Lane is a process that comes in to, to save anyone. It just comes in to amplify because you wouldn't still be around if you hadn't figured out some things, right? Like, right. You, you know, and, and what you're framing around the, the story, the individual organizations have one story, the network, even the national performance network, the connections of that yeah. have a story. And then there's a larger story of the field. And as you mentioned, the world we live in. Mm-hmm. And so it's so easy to get focused on your, your own personal story yeah. in a way that feels um, shaming mm-hmm. and, and, and problematic. And, when we have an opportunity to uh, kind of step back a little bit, we get to see how there are all these other mechanisms at play yeah. that are impacting what I call survival decisions that people are making um, that may have short-term gains, but not long-term benefits. And like how, mm-hmm. and, um, but felt like the, like out of the idea of how many choices do we actually have, yeah. you know, um, and this reframe that you're talking about that, that you've taken hold of, um, and the tagline, like, see leaders make change, uh, enables you to, to have conversations in your communities and outside of the communities from a level of peers. Like, uh, um, and so I'm, I would love to hear a little bit about, so during this uh, um, time in Lane, and I always feel like I know so much more than the, the people who are listening to this. <laughs> so I get to ask these questions. What are they talking about? Um, um, <laughs> You gone through. Um, you went through a pretty intense, like, community conversation uh, um, process. Yeah. Um, and again, going back to this idea of Helena being a place that is um, has a rich history around art, culture, performance, presenting. Can you talk about what made it important as you all were uh, going through this process that you included the community voice and in how you did it and what became the, the um, ripples from it or the ramifications of the, those conversations? Yeah, we are um, in a, you know, in this ec- economy that we're in, it's a pretty low, a, a pretty steady, slow, low level economy so most a lot of the you know this is the capital so there's a lot of state workers and they don't get much of a raise over time and we don't have a lot of wealth here in central Montana and um, so that sense of um, economic struggle really we all we all kind of share that like how are we gonna how are we gonna get through our economic struggles is a a big part of our conversation statewide everywhere but we don't have wealth we don't have wealth in pockets and wallets but our wealth is in our relationships we have the kind of town where I can call up the mayor and ask him to come introduce a show because it's so great I 
have we have mm-hmm. people who have been engaged and involved in the Myrna Loy for years and years and years because it's a small town and people really, really care about what we're doing. And this is a part of our learning to tell our story. You know, we're not this financially impoverished art center. We are a socially wealthy art center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Recognizing that that's where our wealth lies in relationships made it suddenly and immediately obvious to us that that's where we need to go to draw on intelligence and input and to build up this sense of, of um, uh, you know, we're not an arts organization that is on the verge of falling apart like we thought we were. Let's change that conversation to invite the community into dreaming about the future. What do you want to see, you as our community? What do you want to see the Myrna Loy become? How can we, as the staff and team on the Myrna, serve the community better? What do you need the Myrna Loy to be? And that conversation was so powerful. But it was so important that we held it because we felt, I think, as a staff, we're on our own. We have to bail the boat. We have to paddle the boat. We have to do everything ourselves. And people who are, I think, traumatized or in a, in a traumatic situation organizationally tend to feel like this is our problem and mm-hmm. we got to solve it. And don't but, let them know. Don't let people don't know. Don't let them know because so, there is that bit of shame like, well, maybe we deserve to be in this place of poverty. Mm-hmm. But shifting that around to say, no, we're all in this together. We have this amazing treasure in the, in the community that is our art center, wherever, whatever community you're in. And recognizing for it for the treasure that it is, how can we, how can this treasure serve the community more? That was, that was the transformative moment in this project for change, because we got a we got a tremendous, you know, response from the community, for a town our size, you know, and you were there like fifty five people came in on a February Saturday when it was like twenty degrees, you know, and (laughs) and spent their Saturdays their Saturday um, imagining and growing the Myrna. We would like to see it move and grow in this direction and we'll give this amount of energy to it. That conversation was so powerful for both the staff, I think, and the community because they Mm -hmm. also could see us as this responsive, creative um, force that that was going to help our town become a better town so it was kind of at the heart of everything it was beautiful being there it was uh, as someone who doesn't uh, go outside in cold weather it was so (laughs) impressive to see Um, folks uh, coming out and I just have memories of people on their feet and moving around the room and the level of chatter and conversation that was happening and the the energy of it um was really was really inspiring and exciting, and um, I could see how that uh, translated into um, the work that you all moved towards. Yeah. Um, going back to your original th- 
uh, response around change and story, it was both you're telling the story and then you are inviting all of these folks to help build and also be able to tell your story um, uh, along with you. That uh, felt like such a smart choice for you all to make. And the transparency with, with with which you engaged folks. And like the honesty of like, this is where we are. This is what we're thinking about. This is what we have. Um, and, and we're proud, <laughs> you know, yeah. is, is a really, um, was really special, mm. really special. Um, I know that, uh, so talking about the community, um, it probably would be no surprise for folks for me to say on this call that Hell in Montana is a predominantly white uh, a community. Yes. Is, would, would that be correct to say? 94% white across the state of Montana, even though we have seven Indian reservations and um, quite a number of people who are not white. And our mayor is actually a Liberian refugee immigrant. So not everybody's white, but yes, we are white. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> You're like, not everybody, but you know. Mm. Um, uh, so I, 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 one of the things I have really appreciated about you personally and the way um, the Myrna has uh, engaged in Lane is we do a lot of conversation around systemic oppressions, um, racial justice, cultural equity. Um, and I know there are spaces in which um, folks who run predominantly white organizations or, um, uh, um, or even in communities, they're like, I, and I know this for a fact because we've, we've had some conversations even within the network. They're like, I don't know where I fit into this conversation. Yeah. I don't, I, you're talking about racial justice or, or racial injustice or white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it makes me uncomfortable and I don't know how to engage in that. But you have have walked through both personally and within the organization hand in hand through this conversation over these last four years. Is there anything you would share with folks about that journey? Yeah, I feel like it's a really important part of the journey. And it's so easy to say, well, a lot of those racial discussions don't really apply to us because we don't have a large community of um you know, people of color, or we don't have a large community of immigrants, or whatever you want to say to convince yourself that, well, we're just 94% white and that's the way it is. But you got to dig a little bit deeper. And one of the, so we look at it from two different, I look at it from two different perspectives. One is that in a, in a place that is predominantly white, clearly you have to look around and say, gee, it wasn't always like this. What happened? The, you know, 200 years ago, Montana was not predominantly white. What happened? Mm. And you have to carry that story with you every single day. Mm -hmm. 75 years ago, Montana had tremendous cultural diversity. We had 40 black social clubs and 12 black churches in Helena, Montana. We had a Jewish synagogue that was very active. We had um, a Chinatown downtown. We had a lot of... Montana was, because of the copper mines and Mm -hmm. the railroads, Montana was a magnet for 
many, many different cultures, Chinese and Japanese and European and African. Mm -hmm. A lot of the um, freed slaves after the Civil War came out to Montana to participate in the gold rush because it was the very, at the very same time. What happened? So you have to look at the race yeah. policies that were, have been in play af through all those years, and that is a very long story. I could talk about that forever. Mm -hmm. But um, there is a reason why Montana ended up to be predominantly white. We can't just say, well, this is the way it is, and this is how we're going to move forward. You've got you to gotta hold that story, and mm -hmm. you have to tell those stories. We have a responsibility to tell those stories and to carry that with us as we go forward. The other, the other, another way that I think about it is we are predominantly white, but we have people of color, like every community, everywhere. There are children in our schools that are um, from every culture in the world. How are they seeing their identity reflected in what they see. It is mm. the responsibility of the Myrna Loy to bring in artists of many, many cultures and many, many colors so that these kids can see themselves and their own identity reflected on stage in celebrated um, ways, in a number of different ways, as teachers and leaders and performers and filmmakers, so that these people in our in our schools and in our community get to have the full experience. It's also our responsibility to, f to reflect into our little white town the, the cultural personality of the world, of the whole world, mm -hmm. and of our nation as a whole, so that we don't get too insulated and too parochial. And um, how are we serving the Native American community how are we serving the African-American community? How are we serving the Mexican-American community? Or the, um, we're just getting a new refugee tonight flying in who just received um, asylum status from Uganda. And mm -hmm. he went through this horrible long story that took him through Europe and across and he came up from through Mexico into the, into the border from Mexico. And because there is a woman here in Helena who helped him get his asylum status, he's arriving on the plane tonight as you know, this will be his first night in the United States of America and it'll mm -hmm. be in Helena, Montana. How are we going to serve him and help him? I feel like, as creative artists, this is what we do. This is our privilege and our art form and our responsibility to kind of burst through those boundaries and, and celebrate all of our deepest humanity in whatever shape and form that takes. And I love that about art. That's why I'm in the arts field and I'm excited about doing that. And I feel like when you're in a mostly white society, that is the role you play. And I love that about what we get to do. And you were telling me a little bit about, you brought a little bit of Detroit to the Marinaloi or to, yes. to Helena. Oh my gosh, day. we had this party a couple nights ago, the fabulous Thornetta Davis, who is the official 
blues queen of Motown flew over here. She just came off a tour in Italy, came home to Detroit, flew to Helena, Montana, gave one concert, and then off to Calgary, and that was it. That was her concert on this spin through the American West, mm. and she had us all dancing on our feet and singing, and she brought this, you know, there is nothing like the Motown blues, and she brought that into our <laughs> art center for this tremendous moment that people are still riding high on, all of us, and, and 200 people from around our town of, you know, 30,000 people, that is a big party. That is a huge gift to bring that into our community. Uh, it sounds sounds amazing. It sounds like a party I wanted to be there. I know you should have been here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's such an example of, of what you're talking about around the whole story. You know, hmm. someone like Thornetta Davis can come and do a concert here, and it might, in some small way, push some Montanans idea of who it, who is us and mm. who is not us. And if we can move that boundary just a little bit, then, you know, that's kind of what it's all about, right? Yeah, that's what it's all about. And I just want to uh, talk about that. I think, um, I think that's, that's a space of risk and a, a space of bravery and courage. So thank you, because I think there are a lot of folks out there that would just say, okay, like, let me just do what they tell me to do. Mm -hmm. Let me just, people that look like us, like, so it is no small thing. Um, and I'm saying this to you and for whomever might be listening, particularly folks who don't work in the arts, it's like no small thing to, to do the type of programming that you're doing. Uh, um, and that you are doing it with such an incredible level of success. So, so much to folks that can't hold the type of vision um, about what's possible for their own communities. And, and like you said, why we, why we're in this field and why we do what we do. Um, and I think a part of that, um, this idea of why we do what we do is also getting me to this side joke. We're sort of making emphasizing on the, the Myrna Loy, yes, you know? the Myrna, <laughs> the Myrna Loy. Loy. Um, because it's also <laughs> what you're talking about is how you have, positioned the, the programming, but uh, you also did some work in the last few years to align how people think about you yeah. to, the, to, to connect that, to have the programming to the way folks think about the, the institution. Can you talk a little bit about that identity process? Yeah, so one of the things that participation in the Lane program challenged us to do was to look at the role that we play in the community and who we really are. And, and we found that we were limited by this image the community had that the Myrna Loy Center, which is what our name has been since we moved into this jail, the Myrna Loy Center was a place where you come and see a concert or go to a film or go to a special event. But we were doing all these other things. We were taking artists out into the community to do to do pop-ups and happenings, we have a tremendously robust arts education program that um, brings visiting artists into the school. So, you know, kids could learn how to improvise from this 
you know, world-renowned jazz artist. We have a team of teaching artists here who go into the school for longer residencies to teach um, uh, kids who are in the challenged, who are challenged by psychiatric and physical, physiological, emotional, um, all, all different kinds of challenges, uh, skills in improv. So if you don't present as this confident, um, you know, really successful person, what if you improved to pretend you were that person? And it's building life skills into these students. We have all these things going on that were outside of the story of come to the Myrna Loy to see a movie, come to the Myrna Loy to see a concert. How are we going to re-envision ourselves uh, you know, to include that fuller story. And what we came to was, we are not a center that, that Helena comes to. We are a force and an instigator in the community. So we decided to change our name from Myrna Loy Center. Actually, our, our legal name was Myrna Loy Center for the Performing and Media Arts. Like, <laughs> bleh. <laughs> into the Myrna Loy, and we use it as a verb. Like, we are a force in the community. So that identity rebrand really fired a lot of changes throughout the organization that, you know, we decided we changed our signage, we changed our, our public image, we revamped our website completely to tell this story of the Marloy as a force in the community. And I've been out there giving speeches and going to Rotary and all that, you know, about, <laughs> about we have this, this dynamo that is this really active force in the community. And it's... In some ways, it's a subtle change from the Myrna Loy Center to the Myrna Loy. In some ways, it's a dramatic change from the Myrna Loy Center for the Performing and Media Arts to the Myrna Loy and all the things that that means. So, um, you know, kind of circling back to what, what change is and how change has happened through the Lane program, sometimes it's these little one-degree shifts that turn out to be a 60-degree change after time goes by because we've gone in this new direction that has really made the Myrna Loy into a better, stronger, more powerful organization. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I think if folks ever wanted a tangible explanation of emergence... Mm. Um, you just gave them one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like these small shifts can have such large impact yeah. uh, moving forward. That's, I'm going to hold on to that um, um, because I just enjoy saying the Myrna Loy. <laughs> and yeah. um, there is a gravitas that you don't, that, that you, you hold when you say it. Um, that is also a part of the way you reframe the story, like you, the internal story from, from financial trauma to like, we are a force is, is the arc that you have um, grown over the, over these last few years. It's not just the changes internally, but you've taken those changes internally and that has impacted how you talk about the Myrna Loy externally and encouraging other people to see it differently. Um, and one of the things that um, 
you said during NPN uh, annual conference in Pittsburgh, um, which we recorded that then became the first, the, and I'm like right. the uh, yeah. first episode of Tactile, <laughs> um, <laughs> is that these shifts required something new of you as a leader within the organization. Yeah. Um, and would you mind talking a little bit about that? Because I think this idea of like we can we can policy and procedure our way into difference or change, particularly to transformation. Yeah. So for my personal story, because this is all about stories, <laughs> um, I was a f- former employee of the Myrna Loy. I worked for the previous executive director and then um, kind of after 10 years got burnt out and went off and did my own thing for a while. Came back as a um, former employee to sit on the board of directors. When I worked here before, people would ask me, so do you want to be the new Ed Noonan? He was the previous executive director. You know, are you, are you Jonesing for his job? And I would say, oh, gosh, no. You know, I would never want that job, and I would be terrible at it. So <laughs> in, um, in, in this moment when the Myrna Loy was in a really difficult spot and Ed was retiring and there were a number of different things that were going on, as a board member, I, I um, decided, well, I'll step in and just kind of help through this transition. The important thing about that is I never saw myself as the ED of an arts organization. I never mm. cultivated a career as an arts administrator. So when I came into this job as executive director, or sorry, my new title is executive diva, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I didn't see myself as a very strong or experienced leader in all of this. And I was a little bit trepidatious about, I knew the Myrna Loy. I know Helena Montana. I know arts and I have a lifetime in the arts, but arts administration, I wasn't so confident about. So part of this journey has been my not only... um, kind of figuring out how to navigate what it takes to be the, a, a strong executive director of the Myrna Loy, but also realizing in the first couple of years, I figured out how to be the executive director of that Myrna Loy, mm-hmm. and I realized I had to grow to become the director of the new Myrna Loy that we had all envisioned together. Mm-hmm. And growing as a person, as, as an artist, as a leader, as a, a, a collaborator on this team. What do I need to do as, a, you know, in my own humanity to become the leader of this new Myrna Loy? And that was a really big thing. It mm-hmm. was, it's kind of letting go of where you are now like that moment of the trapeze artist (laughs) letting go of the bar you're swinging on to reach the bar that you're flying for Mm -hmm. is a, is a big thing. And I feel like the lane program made me let go of that bar and fly over here to the new bar. And I love that about the way the lane program is structured because it made me do it. 
Well, I'm glad you feel good about that part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, there was a bar to meet you when, when you reached out. Because um, I think that uh, that's a really beautiful analogy. Yeah. How do I be brave enough to embody what I envision? So then my staff can begin to embody that too. My team can begin to embody it. And as we do that, then the community comes along too. But you can't be the last one to do it. (laughs) The leader can't be the last one. That happens in politics, but it doesn't happen in art centers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. So true. Oh, no. So true. (laughs) So one of the things that... um, in, in the swinging, and I, I love this analogy because I'm thinking about the space in between the two bars. Um, yeah. Um, you all turned over your space. And when I say turned over, I mean mm-hmm. through the work with the community, through the in, uh, revisioning or, or re-envisioning um, mm-hmm. process, some, things, some new things around how your physical space looks yeah. changed. And I'm curious about how that the, what the physical changes were, I think would be helpful people to hear, but also how those physical changes impact the culture of a place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that feels to me like a, a two-degree change at the beginning that became this larger change. So um, one of the things that we always struggled with when I worked here before was, how are we going to get butts in the seats? You know, How are we going to get people into our space? In this community um, conversation that we had when you were here, we learned that people really want to come here. They think having an art center in a former jail is really, really cool. But we look at our space and, you know, jails are not really built for community gatherings. They're built to separate people. And we have a very awkward L-shaped lobby area that does not promote flow or community or anything. And because we're a movie house, we have this little concession area down at the end of one of the parts of the L. Mm -hmm. We do have a beer and wine license, which is really cool. So people wanted to spend more time here, but the space was awkward. We had you know, like folding chairs lined up against the wall so it kind of looked like an old Greyhound bus station with a movie popcorn place at the end. What can we do to invite people to hang out here and find community here and come talk about the films, have book club here, join Mm. together as community even within the limitations of this space. And every art center has its limitations. Everybody's, are, everybody's different. And that's one really cool thing I've learned in our cohort, looking at everybody's different limitations. So ours is this, this jail that we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really focused on turning our lobby area into a pub And we built tables using historic wood from reclaimed wood from a historic building down the street. And the table legs are made out of our old jail bars. And so um, we put in benches and tables and we revamped the lobby area. We hired a pub manager who's a chef who can make light bites and food that we can 
produce here in our limited kitchen area. We did new signage. We redesigned the lobby area to be this kind of hangout pub space. And lo and behold, people start coming just to hang out, drink beer, have a glass of wine, hold their little book clubs, hold their hiking clubs. You know, I'll meet you. Sage, come down and meet me at the pub for an hour before the concert and let's just hang out and have, have our light bites here mm-hmm. and then we'll go to the concert. And um, it has turned into one of those things that it, it, it was a small investment and a small change in how we do things, but it has turned, you know, it has grown into this big change for the Myrna Loy, a, a big change in how people see our space and use our space. So we have um, wedding receptions and funerals here and book clubs and, you know, different groups that, that um, come together. And we have um, Friday afternoon matinees. There's one going on right now <laughs> downstairs. And we have this one guy who comes now every Friday at 3.30 to have his Friday afternoon beer here at the Myrna Loy. Just one guy, but it is so cool. We love seeing him every week because he, sh- he wants to sit at these tables that have, and he has family members who spent time in the jail here when it was mm. a jail. So it means a lot to him. You know, our motto is art transforms everything. A jailhouse, a place of anguish and, and solitude and fear and isolation can become this place of community and mm-hmm. laughter and joy and light. So we've really made that happen through our, our little pub project, which, you know, it seems like kind of a small thing, but it turned out to be a big thing. I think one of the things I, I for folks who are listening, as you're referencing the Myrna Loy as a previous uh, um, a jailhouse, you also had some elders. I, I don't know if this was pre, some indigenous elders who also came and sort of cleared the space. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was before your tenure or during or, you know, because I'd imagine... Th- their folks are like, ooh, oh no. So there's, that you have been so intentional about transforming the space that you were aware that the energetic and spiritual cleansing of the space was as important as... Yeah, they came and did a smudge ceremony um, when the space was being transformed from a jail into the Myrna Loy. So embedded in that transformation was this ceremony that cleanses the space as, you know, smudging with sage or sweetgrass actually physiologically removes impurities from the air. And um, in the spiritual life of the Myrna Loy embedded the organization in this foundation of, of transformation and sacredness that we, we recognize this is a sacred, brave space. People died here. Mm. We have stories of the place where our pub is right now (laughs) was the courtyard of the prison where people were hanged. People lost Mm -hmm. their lives in this building. And, And we take that sense of transformation into life and creativity and community very seriously and it's something that I tell all of our artists when they are performing here 
you are on a stage that was built to be a stage added on to the prison. But where the auditorium is were two stories of cell blocks where people suffered. People were not happy. And that's where the audience is laughing and singing and receiving and participating in your art. And it's a huge part of what we are all doing. I feel like that is the transformative power of art in all of us. I'm not able to corroborate it, but I have heard from one historian that the jail cells that were built in this 1894 jail were built from decommissioned um, iron cell block bars decommissioned from slave ships that were sent Mm. up the Missouri River on the barges and brought down here to build our jail. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that is true, and we have not been able to completely corroborate it because of the timing. I wouldn't doubt it. Mm-hmm. But that is extremely powerful to me, that, that all, all of these stories throughout America and the, and the whole story of the United States of America, it's mm-hmm. all intertwined. You can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. We have to be participants in that transformation. We have to. And we have the power of art. Art is the only thing that is a big enough container for all of those stories and for all of that to live together. And to me, that's the blues. That's why Thornetta Davis here was so (laughs) great because it is the darkness and the light all together in that life that art offers us. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that. You know, <laughs> you, you can't transform if you're not honest about the past, right? you know, and, and you have been and you are and, and how thoughtful that is inside of your programming. Thank you so much for this conversation, Chris. But we would not have been able to be this thoughtful and take this time with it if it hadn't been for the Lane program. That is such a miracle and the genius of this program. Thank you for listening. Funding support for Lane is provided by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. You can find more information about Lane and the amazing organizations involved on the NPN website, www.npnweb.org. This episode was co-edited by Amanda Bankston and Monica Tyran. Jazz Franklin is our podcast editor and sound design by Muti Reed.